0: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School.
1: This is Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball, virtual edition. We're doing virtual during the pandemic. We're on Zoom, but happily, the whole crew is here. Audie Weiner, mainline off of Philadelphia. Shane Jensen, Center City, Philadelphia. Eric Bradlow, Parts Unknown. Cade Massey here out in Bucks County. gentlemen. Welcome back to the show. Glad to see you. How are y'all doing today? Doing
2: Pretty good. Well. Pretty good. Well. The Yankees are winning. I'm happy about that.
1: That's right. That's <laughs> right. And,
2: and, and winning.
1: We are going to do our usual routine today. Going to do about half an hour on coronavirus. Maybe a little bit less. We've got more sports to talk about happily, and we'll spend the second half of the show talking about talking about sports. What's going on around the world of sports? A quick reminder. We're not live, so we can't take phone calls, but we can take email, and we do get email. You guys reach out to some of us individually, sometimes to our uh, SiriusXM, more general channel, but you're welcome to reach out and ask us questions. Adi's got a, a question or two that we can revisit um, over the course of the hour, but it's a great way to get to us, and we are paying attention. We'd, la- we'd very much like to hear from you. You I've can always been, get us on yeah, Twitter. I've been, at,
0: t- I've been tweeting quite a bit at, at W Moneyball, and actually a lot of people have been responding, so I've been resp- replying online.
1: So you can get us that way. Great way to, great way to catch us up there. At W Moneyball is our Twitter handle. All right, guys, in the world of coronavirus, this is the context for all of our sports, and it's also um, challenging statistically to understand, and so we've been talking about it for a few months now. I'm curious, in the last week or so, what has caught your eye in the world of COVID-19?
0: So I have more of a question. Uh, I was told this by a friend who spoke to an epidemiologist, that obviously we all have hopes for a vaccine, maybe by the end of this calendar year, maybe early next year. Um, This person who spoke to an epidemiologist made the claim that vaccines basically do not work for people above a certain age. Uh Uh-oh. And... This is a well-known person who spoke to a well-known epidemiologist. Now, I'm just asking a question. Have you guys heard about this? And if even... If you haven't, why haven't we heard about
2: this? I have actually heard of that, so but I don't know the details or the age. But I do know that as you if age, I've heard with
0: sixty-five.
2: Yeah, it has to do with like, for example, the chicken, pirate, chicken pox virus. Uh, a vaccine wears out, and you get shingles. Um, there's some issue with your immune system as you get as you get older. And but I don't they, know
3: anymore. I mean, nothing works as well as you get older, right? It's just like <laughs> we
2: get wiser. We get, yeah. we get you know get wiser. Our wisdom works better. Yeah.
3: But but like flu vaccines, I mean the you know those are t- you know, I mean, I feel like a lot of the kind of public health motivation for a yearly flu vaccine is more to protect our elderly population. But, but and if and if they some, it somehow didn't work for them, why would we even be doing that?
1: My understanding, and it's only recent, and I think it may be from the front page of New York Times article that's up right now, the re- reference given was exactly the flu that we know that the flu vaccine is less effective for older people.
0: Yeah, the um, only reason I was bringing this I didn't up, know that. Was, it was related to Adi's point from my it was last week or the week before. And I sent you guys a picture of this. If you look at the mortality rates, comparing the influenza, the flu, to COVID-19, below the age of 40, flu is actually more deadly for people under the age of 40. Above it, it's overwhelmingly COVID-19. So, if the vaccine doesn't work for older people, then back to Shane's point, like who is this vaccine? Assuming it's even but, effective, who's it? Who's it protecting? Then
3: I, I feel like well, you know we've used the terms doesn't work and the terms less effective. There's a lot of middle ground between <laughs> yeah. those
2: yeah. two things, yeah, exactly. right? Like, They're like right, what
3: yes. do we when we say it doesn't work for elderly people? What do we really right. mean That's there? And, and I That's
2: think right. I, I think first of all, it does work; it's just not as effective. And secondly, right. and this is the I think the key idea: it's all about spread. And the, if the young people can't get it because they've been vaccinated, that's then they can't point. give it either. And yeah. that's, I think, the real idea behind the vaccine is to keep spreading. I have a, so, it's I have kind a, of
3: indirectly protected. Indirectly. And I
2: will yet. do, I have a couple of follow-ups. So, so Eric tweeted out something or sent it to us, uh, an observation about an Indian t- town in India where they've achieved herb, herd immunity. And I actually think herd immunity is, um, whether, whether that really is it or not, is much easier to achieve than we think. And um, I mentioned this uh, on the air, I think, last time, but I did some more investigation there are certain places in New York that were hit extremely hard. Certain neighborhoods in Queens, in the Bronx, Crown Heights, and and in places in New Jersey also. And one of them, in particular, I know a bunch of people who live there, and that whole town is essentially back to normal. Um, their 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 camps, their schools, their 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 synagogues and churches are operating. The police force and and one of the reasons why I think it, there has been no problems is in New Jersey, no no cases to speak of, because the play, the the town was so badly hit with so many people dying and almost everyone got it so quickly. So they there is a a possible. I, th- I actually think it's it's quite supportive of this that about 25 to, to 30 or so percent of the population might make a, make a, a tremendous inroad on, the, on making the, um, the population as a whole somewhat immune. Cla- so- clarifying
1: question, Adi. So when we're seeing these spikes in the Sun Belt earlier this month or last month now, yeah, what, pop- what percentage of the population is, is getting the coronavirus in those situations? If we looked at Florida, Arizona, Texas, what percentages are... Now, of course, the test everyone's not tested some people are asymptomatic so we're projecting but if we were to project after those spikes yeah we have some sense of what the population
2: i would guess so so there's a couple of things so the new york spike was way way bigger than what we saw we're seeing now and nothing like it is, um so i would guess my point yeah I, I guess that that there, the, the the penetration well t- about two percent of the population is actually positive so it's got to be higher than that so i would guess it's about between five and ten percent total okay
3: and it's worth of pointing out again that like one of the reasons that we some of the his you know because the, the, some of the figures for herd immunity that we talked about are pretty high percents like you know 40 30 40 percent yep. and it may not need to be as high just because That's you know right. those kind of figures assume kind of a uniform sort of like connectivity mm-hmm. of the population right. That's right. whereas you we, know if, it, if it's really kind of a situation where we have these kind of super spreaders these very highly concentrated nodes in our social kind of graph of a population, we may need to actually a, – a, 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 we don't need as high of an overall rate to get that herd immunity.
1: Right. We, we hit on this late in the show last time, and it's encouraging to think that we don't need 40 or 50 to, to kind of hit a stopping point um, or, a, or a break point was one of the phrases that was used. But I, I, I'm just curious because some people are saying, well, now that Florida and Texas and Arizona have been so bad, once they get over the hump, it's going to be all Okay. And it seems to me that that hump has not been high enough to get the kind of break point Mm -hmm. that you're talking about in the corners of New York or New Jersey.
0: I was also just going to go back to, relating to Artie's point, but related to back to the concept of the vaccine. So let's think about it from a public policy perspective. So I like the point that um, if the vaccine works on younger people, they can't spread it. That's a great point. But number one, who's likely to get the vaccine first? Probably not the younger people unless they're forward looking and they decide that that's the right. best public policy to say, right. who's less likely to want to get the vaccine? Yeah, for sure. So, people. You know, as statisticians, we tend to think of, you know, there's many parts of the probabilistic chain that have to work to create this type of, whether it's 30, 40% herd immunity that Adi's talking about. So it has to be who's going to get the vaccine? Are they willing to take the vaccine? You know, can you give it to the right 30 or 40 I hate to say it this way, a 30-year-old who's got no friends, in some sense, I hope they partner with Facebook or some social networks. And no, say, no, don't. Or the
3: universities, too. I mean, I mean there's going to be a lot of institutional
0: people. This is what we no, I'm saying. We study diffusion of products all the time. In mm-hmm. theory, if you could observe the social graph and you had a fine, look, we study this in marketing. Who do you give the free samples to? You know, this is standard network analysis. And conceptually, if you had that data, you could do a smarter initial seeding
1: well and and you don't actually have the data to make some theoretical choices and one of the things you're suggesting is there's two different ways to go about it one is those that are most vulnerable because if they get it it'll be worse so fine good we've talked all along about not having done enough of that already but you're pointing out there's a, just pick another population the su- the folks who are far more social the super spreaders yeah and so and i mean yeah. mostly it, 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 if, we 16, vac- if we could have if we could have a vaccine
3: by like if we could have a vaccine by you know essentially Early 2021, for example, you could make it a requirement for coming back to university campuses that they get vaccinated, right, right. and boom—that's our—that's uh, our big super spreader population that we're all worried about for the next few months anyway. So let's Let
0: me just talk. ask them how much, how much, just on false, you know, error rates. How much, even if let's say a vaccine was ready for everyone to be inoculated before the spring semester started, let's call it before January the 15th, and let's say even everybody at Penn got this vaccine. How would we get any sense about the effectiveness of it? Um, the spread of um, if you know, let's say even say it's ninety percent effective, which we heard this last week, which every epidemiologist refutes. When the head of War Operation Warp Speed said it's going to be ninety percent effective, but let's even say it was. We have ten thousand students, twenty thousand students come back to campus. Let's say it's ninety percent effective, and now all of a sudden a thousand people get it. Now, they spread it to other people who maybe don't aren't the early adopters of the vaccine. So what is the math that makes it okay even for people to come back, even in the optimistic case of 90% effective?
1: I think the, the logic would just be
2: that it's better than not having it. I mean, we're about to have schools open without any immunization at all. Yeah. I mean, it's also yep. it just reduces the prevalence. I think this goes down exponentially. I mean, that's the real magic here. I remember studying polio vaccine uh, vaccination effectiveness rates back in the 50s. And it's not it's not even 50 percent effective yet polio disappeared as a disease. How did so, that happen? How do you
1: talk, talk about that. Some. Talk about the reduction exponentially. We saw it
2: rise exponentially. This is just, just the mirror of that. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's just the mirror of it, essentially, because it has to do with this R, which is this E to the RT, right? The spread is E to the RT, T is time, R is the rate. And if that R is bigger than one, then, then it goes up rapidly. If it's less than one, it goes down rapidly. Okay. And this is, this is the magic. And the problem is, is that it, uh, unchecked, with, with, with a total population that is susceptible and no one doing anything, R is big. It's like between two and four. When you, when you are all locked down, R is like 0.5 or some, some fraction that's way less than one when no one's leaving the house. But of course, some people do. There's factories, et cetera, and there's essential workers and hospitals. So it does continue to spread. It turns out that when we're kind of in the halfsies, it's kind of like low one, like 1.1, 1.2. If we can get it down below one, it's, um, that it'll go away and it'll go away fast. And that's the goal of a vaccine. Adi, one of my intuitions here is that these dead ends are what's critical
1: because the expected, if, you got, if you're looking at 1.2 or something, then the expected number of future infections from any one person gets real big real quick, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's more than that. It's 1.2 and then everybody that he hits gets 1.2. Right. and So, so if, you kill, if you kill that tree in one place, then all the expected downstream goes away. And so that's these dead ends are vital. So immunizations are dead ends,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, that are, as is someone who's staying home and, and self-quarantining. Eric, I think he, he's, he's excited about news. Or I something. Don't know if I'm
0: excited. I just got breaking news just showed up on my phone um, that I see the Cardinals Tigers got canceled because, as we see now, um, they said 13 people on the Cardinals oh, have coronavirus or tested positive. And so now the question is, you know, how many did they spread it to? Um, As I've said before, um, we talked about this last week.
3: The Cardinals Um, didn't play this past weekend, though. They were one of the teams that...
0: Correct. They already postponed their game. But again, it gets back to also what you guys briefly talked about off the air. At some point, you're going to have some teams that might play 40 games and other teams that end up playing 60 games. And then I understand winning percentage. I understand that's what they're going to do but at some point it's going to get so unbalanced that they're going yeah. to have to do something about well, it. Well, I
2: mean, I, I, yes, they're going to have to do something, but I, I believe the Marlins are scheduled to go to play again this week. Is that what the, what the schedule is in the offing? Um, and most the of the, the and, play they home. haven't had any more right. positive tests. And they haven't any more positive. And I will just say just from reports from most of the players who were, who, who were tested positive early, they came back within about a week or so, 10 days. So maybe if it's, if each team it takes off a week because they have a, an infectious outbreak, um, then perhaps it, it, I'm, I'm being trying to be as optimistic as I can. Here, people, uh, quite <laughs> no, honestly, just, um, so the, the cards. Mean, the sure.
1: cards a couple of days ago, or maybe was it yesterday? There
2: were two cards positive,
1: and so another yeah. thirteen. So but, this is,
3: and at least theoretically, you know, if, if it sweeps through a team once, it's probably doesn't go back it through yeah. that team again, right? My well, right? question <laughs> is,
0: to, you know, to blend COVID and sports, can we learn anything from this? In the following sense, baseball is a non-contact sport. Okay. The NFL, college football, they're thinking about playing. They have to travel between cities. They're not in a bubble, similar to baseball. But baseball is a non-contact sport. Why wouldn't we think the spread rate in the NFL, the NCAA football, NCAA basketball – is going to be even greater because in some sense there's now two ways you can get it. You can get it the same way baseball yep. players are getting it, and you can get it on the field. Yeah, right. baseball, the chance of getting it on the field—I'm not saying it's zero. They're not
2: spreading it to the other team. That seems to be the case. Um, yeah. They spread it in the locker room to each other. I also think then this is what Manfred was was talking about. Is that apparently the players aren't pretty, being particularly good outside the outside? You the mean state.
0: the Cardinals players going to a casino wasn't okay? Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> and uh, this this seems to be an issue, and this is why the NBA is in a bubble. But I'm going to point out, Eric, and this is why the, why things are continuing. As you started this conversation, the for under forty, and all the more so in the early twenties, this is not it's it's a, it's, a, it's less dangerous than flu. So we're seeing almost none of these players have any problems. One player, I think, it was who had a had a myocardial sort of a, a heart inflammation or heart, which oh, which geez. is actually somewhat uncommon when you have a, a viral infection. Usually goes away fairly quickly, but this is. Is the the worst is complication a, that i saw I, I will say
3: that there is yeah. one thing i did that caught my eye there's a lot of articles like uh, uh, jam and stuff like that this w- last week that you know seem to suggest that there could be kind of heart disease con uh, some fairly severe heart disease consequences to covid even among like not not necessarily the oldest oldest people so like you know this is again like if you know we're seeing i think uh you know among nfl players right. predominantly linemen are are you know linemen i think are 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 one of the uh, groups of players that are opting out fairly often. Um, and I'm obviously in terms of exposure, they are the ones who are going to be breathing on each other all game anyway, but also they're the ones I think, you know, if there are heart disease complications and stuff like that, they would be the ones that would be most concerned with that.
0: Roddy, I think my, my question is, and I agree with you, by the way, um, the good news is that the likelihood of someone that's playing currently to get severely enough sick that they pass away is low. But my question is, the same type of behavior that you just mentioned that is letting them get infected. um, What's your belief about them infecting their families and their parents and their other. And so especially when they're not in a bubble.
2: I they're sure hope involved. that they are being careful. I mean, as listen, Dr. Dr. Burks not, just said that people should be wearing masks at home. Do you think
0: they're going home afterwards? Or...
2: I, actually, I think if, I, if I'm playing baseball, if, which I'm not, I'd love to, but I'm not. If I were playing professional baseball, I would, go, I would be very careful seeing anyone outside my immediate family. And if I were seeing my parents, I'd be wearing a mask and staying outside. I, I think the dad seems to
3: suggest that the actual players playing baseball are less careful than you are.
2: I would I would guess I would guess.
1: Well, right. And so let's take it down. We talked about, okay, football is going to have a tougher time than baseball because it's um, contact football and baseball are going to have a tougher time than basketball and hockey because they're not in a bubble. Uh, Presumably college teams are going to have more trouble than professional teams because college teams are harder to control and there are more of them. And so this is not painting a good picture for college football. The, to, to jump a little bit ahead, and, and this is more coronavirus really than, than football, but there is a fair bit of concern among players. There's, a, there's, an, organiz, there's an organization of players out in the Pac-12, and it's probably going to go beyond the Pac-12, who are threatening to not play and they want more safety, they're beginning to wonder, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're not letting the rest of the kids come back to campus, but we have to be back to campus. And the reason you're doing this is because of the hundreds of millions of dollars at stake, and we're not yet participating in that. So it's re- this is all on the heels of Black Lives Matter. It's this really volatile mix. So on top of all these health concerns, you're adding these very real political, social political yeah. concerns. And I mean, I just don't see.
2: I just don't see how anything. Yeah, comes out I mean,
3: of it. The, at least in the NFL, they're actually being compensated for all these risks that they're taking.
2: Well, I I, mean, I I will point out though um, that the under uh, complete ridiculousness of this system is that not only the college player is not compensated for playing, but if they don't play, they aren't able to. This is their audition, right? This is their audition for the NFL. Yeah. If they don't play, they can't be in the NFL because they can't show their stuff. So, and as we know, a huge majority of the people who do make it in the NFL are people who you didn't think were going to when they were drafted in high school, and turned out to be amazingly successful on the field, and they demonstrated that during their college. So I just want to understand.
0: Yeah. I just want to understand something that Kate said. Obviously, we know college players aren't directly paid. I just want to be understand. So, I haven't been following the let's call them the non-profit making sports for universities, but there could be a university where they're going to play football but they're not going to play track or they're not going to have track because it doesn't make as much money or they're not going to do I don't know fencing or even my son's sport squash which I know is it's almost certainly postponed for the fall. So they're going to separate the profit making D1 sports from the non profit making and that and 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 what rationale will they give for having the football players back on campus versus the other D1 athletes. I don't think I anybody's
1: like, skirting the real rationale which is money. I mean the yeah. the f- football in most of those schools fund every other sport. I mean, except for basketball. So football and basketball basically fund all the other sports. And so it's this very real economic reality. We're talking hundred, literally for most schools, it's pushing a hundred million dollars for, for many it's some schools are pushing $200 million. It's just, it's so stark now. And even if you're not in the college, kids ought to be paid camp. I mean, there's a whole model of amateur athletics that says, look, this is what happens. The revenue supports, support the others and thank you for being here because because of you we're spreading this around and we're not going to pay stars their money that's a professional thing we're going to pay you it as a we're going to spread it around as amateur oh and by the way you're getting good education you're getting world-class facilities and and all those kinds of things there's an argument to be made but even if you make that argument you can't look at this situation and not wonder my gosh i mean the only reason they're trying to play football is because there's a 100 million dollars at stake or 200 million and that's riding on the backs of these 85 scholarship players and they're yeah, not meeting, I mean, they're not I mean they're not participating in that directly i mean literally those 85 guys are responsible for producing 200 million dollars in revenue for the university of texas or texas a&m full stop and it's hard not to say well something's something's out of whack in that system especially when they're having to bear the risk of health that they are it's very stark right now. It's just incredibly stark. And it's, 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 it's hard to imagine them going very far forward.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll give my same prediction. They may start, but I don't see them ending. Well,
2: you know what? I think a lot has to do with prevalence at the time, viral prevalence in the state where the teams are playing at the time of uh, the season or the time of the first game. And their commitment to actually bubble a fly, if that's a word I can send here for us. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I think the baseball players have proved that they you don't bubble. and you I mean, you hang out in Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, Matt, Matt just threw us a note that the Marlins players were into a bar in Atlanta. Oh, yeah, right. Atlanta's in the middle of an outbreak. It's not like – to go to a bar in Atlanta in the middle of a baseball season is is just, you know, asking for it. And, well, and listen, I would hope that our players in, in, in college would, would be much more constricted. I mean, it
1: could be that they – I mean, in some ways there's – there's it's different stakes for those guys because all those guys want to play i mean it's 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 they're playing for fun some of them have a chance to play pro some of them won't some of them will miss their last season ever i mean that's the flip side of it it's not all economic these guys want to play football they're, i'm sure there are lots of folks who would just as soon suit up and play football and they and they will do whatever is necessary to be able to do that and so there will be heterogeneity and maybe there'll be some teams out there I mean, the most fascinating thing that could happen is that you've got this just complete atomization of the of D one, and people are scrambling and just playing, you know, pickup games or whatever. Let's who's available to play next week? Who's still healthy? Which teams actually want to play? We'll see on ABC. You know, I I don't know. It's we do have 130 teams, and there are different preferences out there and wildly different public health states. <laughs>
2: Nothing to add I'm, I'm here, speechless. nothing to add you summarized yeah. it beautifully I'm
0: speechless just because um, it's not just about the players, it's just you know um, well, let me ask a question let's uh, this, what does that two hundred million dollar number become if no one's in the stands?
1: Oh right, um, you know, it's a big part of it. I don't know exactly how how big a chunk, but it is a big part of it.
2: well, they'll probably have some people in the stands <laughs> I mean
1: well, they'll have some, but they mean they take big hits pretty quickly, and yeah. uh, people are talking about i think. People are down to like 25% capacity plans now. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be a little rough. All right, guys, that's, that's a little heavy. That's, I mean, these are heavy notes. It's heavy times. Let's have our eyes open. But also there are some fun games to talk about with some more actual sports that we've had in a while. So let's. You're
2: listening to Wharton Moneyball on business radio.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball, a virtual edition coming to you. Via Zoom, as we have for the last few months, the whole crew is here. Audie Weiner, Shane Jensen, Eric Bradlow. This is Cade Massey. We're just rolling out of the first half of the show talking about coronavirus. Pretty generally, though, we bring various sports into that conversation. Now, in the second half, we'll talk more specifically about sports and occasionally bringing
2: coronavirus in.
1: Guys, we're seeing a lot more sports around around the country than we have in a while. What, in particular, has caught your eye?
2: Well, I'm going to just jump in here because Eric and I are delighted that the Yankees have been so dominant, but I personally am delighted just because I can just turn on a game in the evening and watch it. And that's just been great, great fun. Nobody in the stands, but I think it's been pretty good play with the Yankees. They, for the first time, they have a lineup that looks like their actual lineup. They've always had somebody out over the last year or, or longer. Yeah, this, right. is, this is it. The Yankees are Stanton, Judge, the whole bit, Sanchez, Torres, uh, and, you know, and Duhar is kind of like uh, flailing. He was moved from third base to the outfield because he's a bad third baseman. Turns out he's a bad outfielder, too. Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's hard to imagine he is going to have a place in that Well, team. the
0: opening guy, you didn't even mention, my, my favorite players. I mean, Le I mean, the guy can't – you can't get him out.
2: DJ yeah. Is that G- Yeah, LeMayu, yeah, he's great. He's, can't he's get him out. Unbelievable, yes. Can't get so him that's, out. That's an uncharacteristic
1: style of play these days. What, what, do, you, what do you mean by that, Eric? What do you see him?
0: Well, besides he hits like over, well over 300, he walks a lot. His on-base percentage is great. Um, he actually is one of the few players that does better. Late, I, I just looked at it today. He does better as the game goes on. He's one of those guys, you know, after seeing the pitcher once, twice, et cetera, the guy does, bats even better. And so he's the perfect guy up. And actually the Yankees are breaking convention. I mean, we don't point this out very much, but Aaron Judge, you know, he bats second.
2: Yes, that's oh, like, that right? the analytics claims that that's where you put your best hitter. Is that right? That's where the simulation seemed to show the best hitter is second. And in fact, your fourth shot is is, is actually, you do not want your, your even your top four to be in the, uh, in that, in that fourth slot. Hmm. Hold on. Give uh, us a uh, little more. Get- I can
1: understand moving your best hitter further up because you're going to see them. They're going to see the plate more often, but give us the intuition for why your top four are not the top four.
2: Well, it's the fourth shot. That is, that's really not what you want uh, for. I don't actually, you know, intuition. Is it because I don't have. like, is it because just with high <laughs>
3: probability, they're starting out like an inning? Yes. Like the I believe inning? with
2: high probability, they start off the second inning. Uh, and that's well, not, that's a waste. Yeah, Good. that's you know, that's ch- ch- Shane just schooled me. Excellent <laughs> on the fly. Look at that. Get, what's <laughs> the chance Some of a, Canadian? <laughs> what's the chance
1: of a three up, three down inning? Addy, uh,
2: probably it's not high. that small. I mean, probably yeah, it's more. pretty high.
3: Yeah, if, even even among great hitters, you have a lot of like three up, three downs. I, yeah, I don't know
2: what the I mean, proportion I'd say is. i a quarter, maybe, a, maybe Yeah, a, yeah that, a quarter, that's right. That's quarter, right. Quarter, that's that's my intuition.
0: Roughly, I mean, if we just took 0.7 to the third, that would be 35 percent, and the 0.7 optimistic. Right. So it's somewhere in on the on base percentage quarter, is about 0. 0.32.
2: Yeah, quarter to third.
0: Um, about right. So yeah, it's, about, it's
1: about about a third. So look from it. a distance, the Yankee news that that I can't help but avoid is Aaron Judge homering in five straight games
0: and yeah.
2: two yesterday. Yeah, you know he's he, and he, apparently he claims he's not locked in, <laughs> but he could you say know it a home run record on rate at least he certainly has. It's a funny you know the Yankees are, are, are in some sense the epitome of this new style of play, which is hit the ball out because they shift the, the opposing teams shift so beautifully and people have the, and it's hard to get hits. So you'd have to leave the ballpark in order okay. to, 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 guarantee yourself a hit. DJ LeMayo, by the way, is exactly the opposite of that. He hits to all fields at all levels and you can't defend against him. And he's kind of the old school. Yeah, in fact, I'm the Yankees scored a couple runs yesterday without home runs. And I was really happy to see that. I missed that.
1: Right. It's fun to see someone going against the grain like that A little slap hitter. We can use one good back control. Doesn't strike out. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but tell me about Judge. When, when how many games in a row do you start being impressed by? You y'all are usually talking about streaks and probabilities. I mean, am I supposed to be? Or am I not supposed to be impressed with five in a row?
0: Five's getting up there. I mean, the, the record is eight. I remember for the longest time it was uh, just Dale Long is the name of the player that had the streak for eight. And then I remember that was in the '60s uh, for the Pirates. And then I remember uh, Don Mattingly yeah. tied his record in like '80. Four eighty-five, somewhere in the early to oh, mid-eighties, wow. there, okay. and it was also just recently tied. I forget who the third player is, but there are three people at eight. Um, yep. But let me—it's one of those things. Um, to me, five seems like an eternity away from eight.
1: Oh, really? Okay.
0: Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, let's did, imagine did? he hits at a a home run clip of forty. So he hits a home run in every one fourth of every game. Yeah. So now he needs to get at least three more games where the probability in any one game, if we're optimistic, is one quarter. Yeah. So that still makes us, you know, one out of 64. A yeah. Yeah. So he's got, a, he's got a 2% probability. Unless you guys want to be, believe in momentum. Well, this,
3: this <laughs> well I mean, my... uh, so, I mean uh, the, the, the other way to answer this, which would at least factor in historically momentum, is just look empirically – at the number of players that made it to four games, hitting four home runs, yeah, if, right. and then how much drop-off there was to players, this list of players hitting five in a row, and how much drop-off there is to six, seven, eight. We know it's down really to zero right. by, I by eight.
0: I, I think this is one of those times where the theory would almost tell us the answer within a very good rate. In other words, let's assume, I get momentum, non-stationarity. There are times at the plate a players locked in, Let's imagine a home run hitter when they're locked in roughly hits a home run once out of every, you know, 10 out of every four games, right? So once out of every four games, which would be well, I'd even point out that would be one out of 16 at bats to 20. It's probably a little better than that. Better
2: than that, yeah. They might
0: actually be one in 10, you know, basically Babe Ruth for his entire career. Um, When another player is locked in, that might be their home run rate. So maybe it's four or 5% chance he makes it now.
1: So this this is um I was about to ask this question because do you believe we give you a hard time about momentum all the time Eric but we're this is more about regime shifts than it is momentum so it's
2: not well, the, it's, it's hot not, I have a it's, question is this about not hotness well. I mean he's not I mean let's ask the question because you you have to ask is this is judge right now hot yeah. Or is he? This the, is the question. Uh, or, or is he a regime shift to a better player? Um, oh, hold I on. Actually, I'm not distinguishing those two things. Uh, well, no, because the basic idea is hotness is is predictable by hotness is caused by its its own success. That's, that's, oh, no, the, that's I guess the belief. It's okay. psychological, right? You do well, the, you get better, right? So that's that's what temporary. I mean, that's what I meant
1: by momentum. That's autocorrelation. If you after that's success, right. you're more likely to succeed again. But a regime shift is just you know, they're still relatively independent, but a higher success rate
2: That's what's all of them. What I
0: would think would be the cause, not the cause, the effect of this is my guess is Aaron Judge will have a higher on-base percentage for this period of time. It may not translate to home runs. In other words, he's not swinging at bad pitches. Mm -hmm. And so my guess will be he'll walk more, he'll put the ball in play more. Whether he's going to hit a lot more home runs, that it's hard to know.
1: Eric, is that including the the strategic aspect of this? Don't, don't you think pitchers will pitch him a little more carefully because of his hotness or whatever?
0: I was shocked. I watched the end of the game yesterday. I was shocked that they threw him the ball anywhere near where he could <laughs> touch the ball in the eighth inning last night. Uh, because any ball – well, here's what I do believe.
3: It is the Red Sox. Their ability to throw the ball where they want to is a little <laughs> bit diminished relative yeah. to other teams. But yeah. yeah.
2: There, there are two things to consider. First of all, a walk is bad. And pitchers know that. And they may, may not have known that as well yesteryear. but a walk is something you don't want to do. And I don't, how many outs was it, uh, Eric? Do you remember when, when Judge came up?
0: I don't, I eighth? think it was one.
2: Right. So, particularly when there are fewer than two outs, uh, it's nuts to try to, to walk someone. It's a da- very damaging thing to your expected run production. So, you got to remember that. The second thing is that professional pitchers, um, they believe they can get anybody out. It's part of the psychology of being a professional pitcher baseball player and they if you don't have that if you if you're running scared even against Aaron Judge you aren't going to be in that position so I think they love to just do it and no they don't run away they just don't <laughs> it's our, as analysts we look at them and go what are you crazy mm-hmm. yet yeah, they just don't do it
3: I want to talk a little bit about the NHL playoffs which mm-hmm. I spent a large part of this weekend watching kicked it's off been Saturday. Fantastic. yeah it's been fantastic five games a day and what I've wow. noticed, uh, and, and the level of play is very high, but kind of high variance. That can be you know, like the watch. Flyers against Boston is a great example. The Flyers uh, beat Boston and looked much better. Seemed oh, really? to just kind of look just more. One
0: game. I saw the one game. Have they played just yeah. the one game? Just over? the
3: one game. Just the one game. And almost every series, uh, except for New York's doubt now down 2 nothing as a result of a, a match early a game earlier today. But most series have only gone one game. Um. But it makes me think, because in hockey, of course, I mean, in any start of a playoffs, you would see some teams coming in, you know, seemingly with their legs looking hotter than others due to kind of momentum. And Eric, you and I often interpret that as, oh, you're coming into the playoffs at the end of a season, and you've got the momentum with you. This is an interesting situation where they presumably have completely zeroed out momentum, right? Right, right. Every single team has been away for the exact same mm-hmm. amount of time. They had the exact same amount of time to prepare. So teams that come in now and are quote unquote hot or cold, does this, can we say more about like what, what, what leads to that? Is it just random variation? Can we detect mm-hmm. coaching differences? Right.
1: What, right what, what's right.
3: going on? Like, it's kind of an interesting sort of experiment with, and you well, know, not, not a great experience, not a very generalizable experiment in unprecedented times and all, but, it's an interesting kind of evaluation of where we've kind of zeroed out the usual kind of coming into the playoffs with momentum kind of situation.
1: So, I mean, so setting aside any debates about how much that exists, because yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure it doesn't exist in football, for example. But it's a great question. We talked about it a fair bit uh, when, when we were talking about the NBA a few weeks ago. We anticipated there's just going to be more uncertainty than there yeah. usually is. And ba- basketball can get kind of boring because there's no uncertainty about who's going to end up in the ch- in the conference championships. And we thought, well, there's so many other factors going on right now that it's going to introduce this additional uncertainty. And I ended up getting more excited about the NBA season as a result. Is this not some of that?
3: So Yeah, and it could just be kind of like, you know, just that sort of – content. like it could be sort of variation, not necessarily – I mean, I was t- tempted watching, you know, a lot of hockey this weekend to kind of read some aspect of that variation into kind of like different – like is there something to be learned about how teams have kind of sp- – prepared start for this out. yeah
1: for sure thing. because no one knows no that no one knows how to do it right so teams right. are going to do different things and some are going to work and some are Yeah, going like to work.
3: Is, is there kind of like learnable like is some aspect of this variation kind of reproducible basically yeah, or right. is it just completely random and that's when a great at, question
0: uh, when you look at the quality of play in the nhl like i was i watched a lot of basketball the last couple days and to be honest with you i know they said that it takes like eight games to start playing like you know i don't know They looked like the nba to me yeah um what is it looking like
3: in hockey the ah. nhl too i mean i i the one thing that kind of occurred i know it's like the passing was not quite as crisp like i did sort of i feel like there was more kind of wayward passes or incomplete you know than you would probably get like with like between teams that are kind of coming into the playoffs a little bit more you know practiced Shane, and, and quick in their quick, zone.
1: quick question what is yeah. the base rate success of a pass in hockey
3: oh that's a great question oh man i mean it's such a I'm not even sure it's informative because it's such a function of distance and stuff like that. I mean, there's an average distance. So yeah, that's right. Okay. I'd have to look that up. I'd have to, look. but it's it's
1: kind of interesting. Is it because hockey is one of these games where there's a lot of messiness anyway, there's a lot of incomplete passes. Oh yeah.
3: No. And so it is kind of hot, you know, it is a little bit hard to discern what is kind of, you know, what do you think it real
1: quick guesses from everybody of what you think it is? What do you think the average success rate completed pass in hockey is across all distances, all time, all everything. Is is there a an definition an completed by they, the way? I'm sure they're coding it. I'm sure they're coding it.
3: Seventy five percent. Oh,
1: I would have gone lower. I was thinking more like
3: fifty. There's a lot of short passes and stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah. well, that's the, the majority right. of classes yeah, are short. Good. And as that's they right, take the
2: Shane. puck up the ice, don't they just do little quickies yeah. to each other? Yeah. I, I would never, ever try to disagree with Shane. Um, so so, Matty D's throwing data at us. On average, twelve point eight
1: percent of individual possessions resulted in a completed pass in the offensive zone. Good lord, that's not very much. Well, no, each, this is the number of passes
3: the, per possession. That's not the number of the success I know, rate per pass.
1: No, but that's not encouraging when it starts out that low. But in
2: the in the offensive zone.
1: Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, right but so it's, more, it's more yeah, difficult yeah, down there. Fair, fine, fine, fine. Let's this. not let's not go too far because because okay. we're not going to answer the, the question other thing.
2: i the other thing
3: I'll kind of point out that I think you know. I kind of noticed is I think the the goalie variability, like the the goalie performance variability, was higher as well. Oh, really? like some, you know, and, and that fun. again, I don't know whether that's kind of a preparation thing where some goalies are kind of, kind of whether goalies take a little bit longer to get you know sort of like in, in, into into their kind of game shape or not. But right, like I right, did right. see a lot. There was a lot of kind of you know, random, there, there was a lot of r- randomly high scoring games, and some of that was I so, think Shane, sloppiness on the us, goaltending just side. Just remind
0: us about hockey. Are we seeing the of the twenty-four, I think it is that made yep. the playoffs. Are we seeing nine through twenty-four right
3: now? Is that no? No, you're seeing uh, uh, all of them. So the Flyers and Bruins, for example, played. So the the top four teams in each conference are are playing a round robin right now to decide to a to warm up and also it. to decide that one to four seeding.
0: I got it. Okay, so, so the, no, for, no, for there's example, the no no, flyer, no.
3: the yeah, there, there's you have to make a distinction. There's like the quote unquote qualifying round. Which is occurring between teams like five to 12 in each conference. And there's also this like kind of seeding round robin that's occurring between teams one to four. How much? And, and, how and, much, they're kind of, and the games are kind of just intermixed. In and the,
1: quali- the qualifying series are then just three games best out of three?
3: No, best of five. Oh, best of five. So, I so they're it. playing I more think it's than the best of five. Yeah.
1: The top seeds aren't playing as much. So
3: so, so, so the top seeds are going to play exactly three games. Yeah, right. Okay. The qualifying teams are going to play an average four three or games. something. Got
0: it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Back to Kate's point. How much? You know, I can speak in basketball right now because I've been watching. Again, a lot of it. I just don't think some of these teams care. Like the Milwaukee Bucks are playing for nothing. They've already clinched the one yeah. spot in the East. The Lakers are the one spot on the West. I'm not saying they don't care, but I mean they'd rather not get injured. They want to be in shape. How much in hockey are you seeing? Like, does it matter whether you're the one seed, two, three, four? I mean, there's no home ice anyway, so does it really matter?
3: Yeah, no, and I mean, I think it would be. I mean, the Flyers Bruins game certainly. The Bruins looked kind of listless in that game. The Flyers looked much kind well, of. Well, they're more mad engaged. because they were going to
1: get the number one seed. Well, no, that's right. No, right? they're they have the They were, quote, lapping, yeah, the they were yep, lapping the field. They were lapping the field, and then exactly the pandemic hits.
3: Right. Yep. Um. And yeah. You know. Uh. And I, I mean, Chicago is the fifth seed in the East. And they're down actually in their series now. Uh, you know, one to zero uh, to uh, Edmonton. Oh uh, no, sorry, they're up, uh, they're up in their series. Sorry, but like you know, they. I mean, basically as a five seed, they have to play this whole other round. And just ahead of them, Philadelphia gets the kind of easy round robin type of thing. So, yeah, there's, there's a weird. There's right, right,
0: right. I assume also there's matchups in hockey. Look, we talked about this in the NBA. Is there ever a scenario where an NBA team would say, "You know what? I'd rather be the." four seed than the three seed, because I'd rather play the fifth seed. And you know what? I don't want to play the Clippers. I'd rather play the Lakers. Is there any scenario similar thing where they're looking at matchups?
3: Oh yeah, certainly. No, I think certain teams like, you know, I mean, again, that's probably more in depth than like I can kind of prognosticate (laughs) right now, but no, yeah, definitely. There's a, there's a matchup situation where certain teams like, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, Pittsburgh's in the qualifying round and, you know, I, I, I would feel bad against any team that happens to kind of match up from the, like the top four that matches up with them. Cause those mm-hmm. guys seem to all, if any team kind of consistently turns it on as the playoffs go on, it's Pittsburgh.
1: Um, what about, what about the NBA? Eric, you said you watched a lot of it over the weekend. Um, the, you said the quality of play looks good. Any teams, Shane talked about the variability across teams getting out of the blocks. Have you seen that with the NBA?
0: Yeah. Well, the, the teams that, The team that looks good to me, that is so underappreciated, is the actual defending NBA champions for the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, right. Now, I understand Kawhi Leonard's not on the team anymore, but that team is really good, and they're going to be a very, very tough out in the East so,
1: so they, just, they just took it to the Lakers, right? Is that right? right? So Kyle Lowry went off against those guys?
0: Yeah, but it's not even that. It's what I see when Toronto plays the Sixers, which I've seen a bunch of the game. You can't get a shot off against them. The Lakers mm. scored 92 points, mm. and um, that's the challenge with playing Toronto. They're an extraordinarily good defensive team, and so that's going to be the challenge playing them.
1: Does does that inform our theory of what parts of the game start well after the cold and what starts – I mean, is it easier to play defense straight out of the blocks than it is offense?
0: I would agree. I would think it would be. Because it's just it would an effort thing. Step. I've also seen some games, I forget, the Rockets played, I don't know, Portland or something. The score was like 155 to 152. (laughs) Overtime. overtime.
1: That That was overtime. The
0: the other thing that keeps reminding me of is, you know, I look at our Sixers and people are like, they're a hidden sleeper, this and that. They look okay. I'm going to go back to my childhood. I'm going to say it again for the thousandth time on Wharton Moneyball. When your best player is a center, (laughs) you're in real trouble. Yeah. And Joel Embiid the other day had like 41 points and 22 rebounds and the Sixers lost by five. And again, he's so far the best player on the team and it's just not going to be winning basketball. It's just not. You can't, three is 50% more than two as Adi has taught us all. And, <laughs> you know, he can shoot the three, but he's not a three-point shooter. You got a team, you know, Tobias Harris doesn't really shoot the three enough. We know Ben Simmons doesn't shoot the three. Embiid shoots it okay, but two or three times he doesn't shoot it. We have Shake Milton playing. I mean, again, so, so, it's so, not I hear,
1: hear you a, a side question. I mean, to what extent can a can a guy improve his three point shooting? So there was a big fuss about Simmons. He actually made a three in one of the first games. Yep. Um there's been a Who was the some some player went off? Well, maybe a pacer and 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 he had been he had been told to work on his outside game during the pandemic and apparently worked on his outside game during the pandemic i'm curious to what extent we've seen players you know jordan became a better jump a shooter better. over over his career and so i mean you'd think that simmons would be able to pick it up you'd think that some of these guys who aren't adding in the offense would improve over time maybe it's too quick to ask that to happen but I'm just I'm just a little surprised that we we continue to have the same story out of out of these same set of players.
2: Yeah. Well, well, actually, just okay. to follow this up, the basic idea I think that one of the great innovations is that statistics or analytics has brought to the professional sports is the realization that learning and growing doesn't start doesn't stop the day you you sign your professional contract. Mm-hmm. You, you can actually get much better at all the things that you, you thought you were, you know, just because you're a professional doesn't mean you, you had, don't have continual room to get better, so, with, Adi, particularly with the right training.
1: You say analytics have shown this. What's an example? What are you thinking? About? Well, I'm, I'm thinking for, for, for
2: immediately, of course, from pitching, right? So This idea that, that the cameras and the, and the ability to, to, to improve your pitches with the right, with the right um, coaching and the right, right technical feedback is extremely important. But I think that's true in basketball as well. And I, and I think it's a mindset, the idea that you can get better. And, and I, always, I always wondered, like, why, how do the New England Patriots do it every year? Now, maybe it was because they always had a great quarterback, right? But I also think they had a system that, that, that taught players to continually get better. Uh, particularly when they start and they're in college and they they were they're young there's a lot of growth that happens between 22 and 26 27 and -hmm. not just physical growth but actual mental growth and with in the right environment and with the right tools you can get much better
1: i think it does vary by sport and and baseball really kind of leapt over everybody in recent years with technology i've heard general managers in the nhl bemoan the fact that there's not that much development that happens once they get to the big leagues. All the development happens in the minor leagues, and they don't expect to be working on their game, essentially, once mm. they get to the, to the to the top league. And so that's a pretty stark difference from baseball. And I wonder how much variation there is across sports.
0: Yeah, do we believe in the following lore, which is out there? And I guess analytics, in theory, could tell us just now that we have motion tracking and high-definition cameras. You know the old expression, kind of, you have to get worse to get better. And what I mean by that is let's imagine you have a player who's scoring 15, 20 a game in college. They're playing great. They come to the NBA, but there's clearly a mechanical flaw in the way they shoot the ball, which means now you're going to have to, in some sense, reteach that person how to shoot mechanically. It could be the same in hockey with, with, uh, you know, hand positioning or the way they, you know, could be the same in football the mechanics of a quarterback. It could be the same in tennis on service motion. Do we have any evidence about, Players, you know, maybe that's why a lot of growth isn't there because players aren't willing to get worse for six months to a year to actually then get better in the well, long. Well,
3: there's, but there's also like kind of isolated situations where you kind of think like, like did Shaquille O'Neal actually get better at shooting free throws as his career went on? Because I mean, there's he an example. It. Like he here, here, here's it. an example of a per- player who, an obviously excellent basketball player, definitely not good at something, does it a lot. So you know, there's there should be plenty of incentive. Yeah. to get better at it and it's and it's an aspect of the game that at least theoretically you should be able to kind of maybe practice, right. you know do an isolation where it wouldn't necessarily negative imp, you know what eric's talking about you wouldn't necessarily have to sacrifice other aspects of your game so I mean, no, Unless I you could argue that there's just a unit amount of practice time and his focus but was there's, better but off. There's,
1: but there's not and that's one of the things that differs yeah. across players is a willingness to invest yeah um and and i'd generalize the question i mean so do NBA players generally get better as free throw shooters yeah. over over time? And that you sure would hope that there would be some improvement. I mean, it is the most repeatable, isolated event in basketball, and you would think that there would be room to get better. But let me ask you guys a question: um, have, have you gotten better at your job in the last year? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I mean, 26, we, I think it stops. 26, 27. Well, this is,
1: I mean, I, I think they, it's It's so easy for us to sit over here. I mean, I, you note the difference whenever you go and you get around professional sports. I mean, it is a, it is a culture of improvement mm-hmm. and, and, and maximizing potential and performance it's just a, it's in the water it's in the air at least they're talking about it and trying it all the time it is so different from where we are yes. we're trying to write a measurable. paper i mean teach it's a class. So measurable right well I, but is that, a, is that we don't want to use that as an excuse i think it's i think it's interesting i i you know i like to say that sports analytics is the cutting edge of people analytics and what's happening in sports will be happening in non-sports organizations down the road but sports does have the advantage of being so much more measurable and so I, whenever and, we and, see more, it, and
3: more and more direct immediate feedback
1: yeah, because on, yeah, on, it's, on, on it's,
3: improvements.
1: That's right. And so the, I, I often wonder, what are the professional examples of uh, that kind of performance improvement? And if we took an assistant professor or an associate professor, or when we gave tenure to somebody, we said, OK, fine. But these are the things you need to work on. Here's the feedback you need and come back and talk to us. I mean, what would you do? How would you
0: Here's, try to be me. measurable? You could. I mean, let's well, let's I'll get to the teaching side in just a second. You could imagine conditional on she or he writing a paper, right? You could look at what's the likelihood that that paper gets published. Um, You could imagine that hopefully someone develops, whether it's better taste, better ability to uh, write papers. Um, You could imagine a higher hit rate as someone moves through their career.
1: Yeah, yes. Um, right, so some measurables there, and and as in sports, noisy measurables, but for sure.
0: Um, There's not I a big sample, but something you can a it. large but, number of people and track but, them over there. I mean, so this is one of the we beautiful We can make are-
2: up numbers and and track them. That's true. The problem I think we have in our field is that we can't agree on what those numbers mean or whether they they say the things we, we want them to say. So and that's sort of the problem. I mean, if I to, if I had to encourage a professor to get more papers accepted. I would. I could end up creating a monstrosity where nothing interesting is ever tried. Yeah, right. Because in our field, particularly statistical or mathematical statistics, the kind of papers that are easily published are the papers that we call n plus one, where papers one yeah. through n is already written. The the kinds of the the directions are already set and formulated. They're almost out there, ready to be done. You write the n plus right. first paper. There's no argument to publish it because it's not. Frankly, it's just not original. And and so there's no people getting upset about
3: it. We can can deconvolve this a little bit. I totally agree that like trying to come up with some kind of numerical measure of the quality of what we do is is, is exceedingly difficult. But if you just defined a numerical measure, like number of citations, could you, I mean, you could then at least look at, even if it was a very imperfect measure of, of kind of professorial quality, if you told a professor early in their career, you need to up this thing. They will Would professors <laughs> do that, but the, Would yeah. professors be but able to do that. That's more the I, question. I think yeah. Cade was asking. I, I yeah. agree with all
1: that, but, but, and one last point we need, we need to move, but the, and it's a question for any profession the, what we've seen happen in sports is they decompose it. It's not, you need to have more hits. What we've seen happen in baseball is here's your swing plane. Here's your exit velocity. Right. Here's your, here's your swing compared to the, you know, whoever's swing. And what's the what's the analog in your profession? As a listener, whatever your profession is, how can you decompose it in order to really improve your performance? Guys, before we run out of time, real quickly, um, why isn't tennis back? You'd think tennis would be easy. So what's going on in tennis? And also, anything new in the world of golf, we got the PGA Championship coming
0: up. Just quickly, in tennis, um, players can't travel. They want to bring a big entourage. There's travel restrictions. And so – that's the big challenge. And when they come to, if they come to play, let say, a U.S. tournament and they have to quarantine for a certain amount of time, they don't want to do that. And then when they go back to their country, they'd have to quarantine. So it's the, if you like, the travel cost in quotes.
1: But hold on, they don't want to do it. How else are they going to get paid? The golf, they put on some podunk tournament in Wisconsin, and friggin' everybody shows up because they're dying to play. So I don't understand. How, what are you doing if you're not
2: playing tennis?
0: Well, understand, there's a bunch of tournaments. Like, there are a bunch of the top female player in the world. Ash Barty has said she's not going to play the U.S. Open.
2: Why not? What's the reason given?
0: Because she would have to come oh. to the U.S., quarantine for 14 days prior to the tournament. In the after, U.S.? We don't
2: make that. Do you mean New York makes that rule? Is that a rule in New York now? Or? No, that's
0: the ten- tennis. The and tennis it, has that rule. And it might be. I, I don't even know. New York City might have that rule now, depending right. on where you're traveling from. Right. Number two, they would definitely put a restriction on the number of people you can travel with. Tennis has put these restrictions. And then if she wanted to go back to Europe to play, let's say, the French Open, she might not be able to do so because of the time in between. So players are having to make a choice between U.S.-based tournaments and non-U.S.-based.
1: Ah, Okay, now we're to the heart of it. We just haven't gotten around to the season where we're playing non-U.S. majors. Interesting.
2: All right. I I think one of the things we're having trouble with is we can't really figure out how safely you can do these things yet. And so we've been erring on the side of the extra cautious.
1: Right, right, right. Well, guys, we're going to have more to talk about next week. I know we've had some tweets around some of the calculations. You know, baseball is doing these different things. They're having seven-inning games. They're putting runners on second to start extra innings. Lots of good analytics. Audie Weiner is your man for that. You can follow him to get some calculations. We can talk about it next week. Also, PGA Championship, that's major golf, fellas. That is major golf. It is happening this weekend, this is the one that got postponed. It was it usually ha- used to happen in August, but it's supposed to be happening in June. It got back bumped into its normal spot. This is out in um, in San Francisco, Harding Park public public heart course out in San Francisco. This weekend should be fun. All right, that has been another episode of Wharton Moneyball. Thank you for listening. For the whole crew here, Shane, Eric, Audie, Matty D. This is Cade Massey. Appreciate your listening. Come back and join us next time. Between now and then, enjoy your sports.